Hello, friends. Welcome to Nexus, a smart buildings technology podcast for smart humans. I'm your host, James Dice. If we haven't met before, I write a weekly newsletter on this same topic. It's also called Nexus. Each week, I share what I've learned, my opinions, and what I'm excited about in the quickly evolving world of intelligent buildings. Readers have called Nexus the best way to stay up to date on the future of this industry without all the marketing fluff. You can check it out and subscribe at nexus.substack.com or click the link in the show notes. Since starting the Nexus newsletter, many of you have reached out to me wanting to talk shop, and we have. After a few weeks of those wonderful conversations, I realized I needed to record and share them with our growing community. So here we are. The Nexus podcast is born. This is our chance to explore and learn with the brightest in our industry together. One more quick note before we get to this week's episode. I'm a researcher at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, otherwise known as NREL. All opinions expressed on this podcast belong solely to me or the guest. No resources from NREL are used to support Nexus. NREL does not endorse or support any aspect of Nexus. Okay, episode 11 is a conversation with my NREL colleague, Corey Moseman. Corey and I have these conversations all the time, so we thought it would be fun to press record once in a while. Fair warning, though, this is the nerdiest episode yet. However, before you stop listening, I want to put that nerdiness in context. Today, in buildings across the world, data is locked up and unable to be used. If we could use it, we could do things like help mitigate climate change, create healthier indoor environments, and automate our buildings. People new to the industry often ask why that is. This conversation is part of that answer. We set aside the business reasons of why the data can't be used, like vendor lock-in, that have plagued the industry forever. Instead, we dove into the semantic interoperability problem and all of the efforts going on to solve it. This includes the open source projects called Project Haystack and Brick. It also includes the proposed ASHRAE standard 223 and the associated working group. This is a difficult subject to learn and an even more difficult one to convey. So I hope this conversation takes you closer to understanding what's going on like it did for me. This episode of the podcast is directly funded by listeners like you who have joined the Nexus Pro membership community. You can find info on how to join and support the podcast at nexus.substack.com. you also find the show notes there, which has links to Corey's LinkedIn page. Without further ado, please enjoy Nexus Podcast Episode 11. Hello, Corey. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey, James. Yeah, sure. So my name is Corey Mosman. I am a software engineer at the National Renewable Energy Lab. So James and I work together. I work mainly on interoperability type projects. So work on interoperability with respect to energy audits and also uh, a lot of brick and haystack and also I'm in the ASHRAE 223 uh, kind of working group. So as I understand it, we're going to be talking a lot about aspects of interoperability today and um, looking forward to it. I just wanted to make sure I said real quick. So I do participate in the ASHRAE 223 group. I'm not, you know, any none of this stuff is basically official coming out of ASHRAE. So this is just my understanding of kind of what some of the ASHRAE 223 stuff is going, what it looks like. So, but 
looking forward to discussing. Yeah, this is not the official ASHRAE position on interoperability at this point. This yeah. is us two trying to figure the world out. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, you've taught me a lot. So I thought it'd be good to <laughs> kind of bring you onto the podcast and see, you know, what we can kind of spread around to the rest of the Nexus community. Sure. So first of all, thank you for that. You and I have had lunches and chats on Microsoft Teams and a lot of stuff that's kind of helped me. I think I've helped you a lot as well. So it's been good so far. So yeah. let's start off with just setting the context around interoperability. So, I mean, you and I are, you know, HVAC and energy nerds, I would say a lot of the Nexus community are, are the same sort of nerds. So I think a great place to start with this conversation is let's zoom out, like what the hell is interoperability? And I'll start by saying, here's how I thought of it before our conversations. So I come from the world of energy efficiency and retro commissioning and monitoring based commissioning. So I've always used Haystack as a way to take data in a control system and make it easier to use in an analytical application. But I realize that's a very limited definition of interoperability. So let's just zoom out and just say like in general, in the world, what is what does interoperability mean? Yeah, good question. So to your point, we can talk about interoperability at like a few different levels. And so I think it's important to distinguish. So very briefly, we can, you know, talk about device level interoperability. So the ability for two devices on a controls network, basically to communicate to one another. And I think that that is generally kind of covered in what we think of as BACnet. And so they speak the um, same language, basically. So if, if I'm speaking English and somebody else is speaking Chinese or Mandarin, then it just works. Yeah. And it's kind of about the, the rules of like negotiation as well. So how do I even find somebody that exists in okay. the world? So it's, yeah, right? it's so that's, more than just the language. That's maybe, yeah, that's maybe a first part, right? So how do I find people? How do devices find devices? And then it's kind of like, how, how do you even, how do you identify the language that the other device speaks? If they speak your language, maybe. And then uh -huh. it's kind of, what sort of what sort of services or transactions can you make with that device? I think of okay. it that way, right? Okay. So you might go to a, a, a grocery store and want to buy apples, but they're only you know selling pears or whatever, right? Mm. So, and this is kind of where BACnet is. It's it's understanding you know who's out there and you know how you can talk to them and what kind of services you can exchange with one another. Okay. Before we get into BACnet, let's talk about yeah. like like what's the definition of interoperability? I mean, you were telling me the other day it sounds like it's it's like repeatable and two people from different companies have to be able to do the exact same thing for it like without human intervention, right? For it to be considered interoperable, right? Yeah. So I'll also make the disclaimer that I'm not an expert on any of this stuff. So I'll, I'll definitely parrot a lot of things that I've learned from other people. 
So one of the one of the definitions and ways I like to think about it, I think, was brought up by Gabe Fierro, who's one of the brick guys, and he basically said, you know, W3C, which is the World Wide Web Consortium, they when they were proving out kind of interoperability for web standards, they always basically require that two companies, basically competitors, so similar interests, able to communicate and basically relay information to one another. So they never said that some like an interoperability standard was like actual actually taken into effect until, you know, two separate bases had proven out that they can kind of communicate with one another and what that communication is, you know, whether that was just, you know, two things talking to each other or, you know, really conveying meaning at the application level. There's, you know, there's lots of different ways that that can be, but I, I like that definition, you know, proving out that, you know, two people have the same understanding of what they're trying to do and can do that successfully. Yeah, I like it too, because I think it sets the stage for kind of where we're going to go with this um, conversation a little bit. So there are a ton of different interoperability efforts, right? Through, if we talk about smart buildings and we just like draw a boundary around the smart buildings world, like you could probably just like name off like 20 different interoperability efforts. And so while we're here to talk mostly about HVAC and Haystack Brick, and can you just kind of give us an overview and put in context Haystack and Brick in the context of all these other efforts that people might have heard about in passing or on their projects? Yeah, sure. I think that's a good idea. So I, I think you can you can kind of group these into you know different things that have been solved for or are trying to be solved for by these um, standards. So if we talk about kind of device to device communication, we tend to think of BACnet, LawnWorks, or Modbus, right? Those are kind of three pretty standard things that a lot yeah. of controls people are familiar with. That's one small portion, right? And that's all in the operational phase. You know, design and construction processes are like processes, right? They're ongoing and they, you know, contain a lot of stakeholders. So, so additionally in this world, you know, we think about kind of building information modeling. So how do basically, you know, an Autodesk Revit and another like BIM application, how do they, you know, take whatever that they're building and, you know, transfer it to one another without, you know, data loss or corruption. So that, that I would say is like BIM to BIM interoperability. And, and that is covered by the industry foundation classes. And I I think like Kobe is maybe another one. Hmm. Uh, I think there's some relation between those two, but anyway, so that I would say. I've heard those two. Okay. So that I would say is kind of like the BIM to BIM world. We also have this uh, other workflow, right? That is the building information modeling to the building energy modeling, right? So using Energy Plus Open Studio to simulate a building and taking basically information that's defined in you know your Revit model and running that into energy model, right? So not having to rebuild your whole building, and that's you know generally covered by GBXML, and uh, yeah, so that's let's say GBXML. Then we have this other one, which is kind of like auditing and reporting, I would characterize it as. So these are things like green button, X, green button XML, maybe it's an XML, energy SAR XML, building sync XML, which is kind of like a schema for energy reporting energy audit data, and then HP XML, which is energy audit data for residential. So this is another one, right? So a lot of these are, you know, XML schemas, things like that. And then 
you have, you know, these things which are, you know, everybody in our world talks about right now, which is more on the operational side of things is how I tend to think of it. So this is where like Haystack and Brick and 223 come into play, where you're really kind of looking at maybe more controls oriented, system oriented kind of interoperability. And, and people often talk about, you know, this thing or this concept of semantic interoperability when they're talking about that. So we, we can discuss that a little bit more, you know, then you have, you know, Troy Harvey is doing some things with this digital twin standard. Microsoft, I know, is working on this digital twin definition language, which is another kind of schema ontology. Not totally sure. Basically, there's a lot of stuff out there. Yeah, definitely. And I, I just have this sense that as you just listed all of that off, I, I just I, there has to be more, right? Like those are the oh, ones that, the, yeah, right? So there's just yeah. a ton of things going yeah. on. So I don't yeah. want to blow this conversation up. We want to just keep it narrow down to what we know. Uh -huh. So let's let's d kind of dive into HVAC and controls type of applications. So I know this is like a big question, but why don't yeah. we have interoperability now with that sort of data? I mean, and, and let me set the so, context a little more there. So BACnet's been around for 20 plus years, something like that. So I think there might be sort of a first myth that BACnet has solved it. And then I think there's also probably a question around like, if, if BACnet's around and then we all understand the interoperability as a goal, couldn't a control system just be set up from the beginning for interoperability to begin with? So I know you this is a huge like question. Some, some so semantic interoperability to begin with? Or... Well, maybe just begin there. So what's the difference between semantic interoperability and just more general interoperability like we defined it earlier? Sure, yeah. So uh, I would I would say, so so two things. I, I think if, if we look at kind of the history of basically BMS applications, right? And kind of let's say, as they exist today, they're really, you know, implementing control methods, and many people have pointed this out already, that you know they don't really have an understanding of what a system is, right? I can use a, I could probably use like something like a VAV controller and plug a few IOs from like an air handling unit into it, right? And it probably wouldn't know the difference, except that now I don't have enough like la landing ports, you know, to, to <laughs> land all of the input yeah. output that I need to for an air handler, right? So so there's, there's kind of this, this aspect you know that controllers are very extensible right so they can you can add more ios but really it's it's controls right now it's all io driven and so so it, it doesn't really have an understanding let's say of the system of like the components in the system and more broadly and this is kind of like to troy harvey's point it doesn't really understand physics at all or like thermodynamics right which are very important for it to function, right? So a VAV box doesn't really understand, you know, like or a VAV controller doesn't really understand like flow rates and then how actuating a damper is going to, you know, uh, change flow rates, right? It, it does only in the sense that you kind of programmed a few things in there to and based on IOs, right? So a semantic and, model is like not needed for the way that our control systems are set up in the buildings world right now. Yeah, so there, yeah, there's never really been a need to understand like the essence of what something is, <laughs> I would say. And and that's kind of a question like that's a, you know, it's kind of a philosophical question. And this is like, from my understanding, where, you know, ontologies and taxonomies kind of come in, right? Because they're, they're talking about 
kind of the philosophy of what it means to be this thing and what it what do systems mean and those kind of things before we get there i think the not needed piece is key so a control system doesn't need that it doesn't need to know that today right to produce what is today's building automation system right it's it's inputs and outputs it's pid loops and yeah like gets the job done okay, basically, without knowing anything about itself. But as we, I think where we're going in the industry is when we start to do things like analytics, those do require some sort of knowledge of what this thing is, right? The essence of the thing. And that's Mm -hmm. how we basically add intelligence. We add analytics to it. We need to know those things. And so I think from my perspective, like, where we're going is because that of that gap where we're going with this conversation is because of that gap that's been created right we need we need the system to know what it is and it doesn't know what it is maybe it's just that that's as simple as we can put it yeah and i and i think like yeah so analytics ftd come in and i think for the most part like people thought bms was probably going to be the last thing that was like ever needed right right and so that was kind of like the and still is considered a lot of times like the top tier application in in a, in the stack of kind of the controls world. But then you had you know analytics and FDD kind of come into play, and now you what you introduce is basically a new application, right? That now is trying to you know communicate with your BMS application or your backnet network, and and it's trying to come to some sort of understanding of what's all out there, right? Yeah. In terms of systems and devices and it doesn't actually really care too much about the devices, only in the sense that it, the devices are what gives it the information. Yeah. And FTD is is really about understanding, you know, kind of system system workings. And so this is, I think, really where you know semantic interoperability comes into play, is when you have kind of complex applications that are or applications that are trying to do more complex things, which are you know a lot of times based on the physics and the thermodynamics and things like that where it becomes really important to know kind of what the essence of things are, what properties things have, stuff like that. Cool. Yeah, I, that helps that helps me at least understand it. So I, I want to take us through kind of the history of like, we had that gap. And now there, there's been several efforts to close that gap. And they've been happening over the last many years uh, up until today, where you're helping to work on this ASHRAE 223 project. So I, I think a good way to maybe frame this progression is to put it in the context of a single sensor. So I think the example I always like to use is a discharge air temperature sensor for an air handler. So maybe we could start like with that in mind, start with BACnet. So how does BACnet handle and communicate the, the essence of a discharge air temperature sensor to other devices? Sure. Yeah. So in, in general, a, in, in backnet world, a discharge air temp- temperature sensor is just an analog input, right? So I have, you know, a sensor out in the field, I wire back zero to 10 volt or four to 20 milliamp or whatever to my controller. And that is basically, you know, just doing analog to digital conversion, right? So it's, it's reading a, a value and converting it into something 
digital. So then what happens, you know, you have a controls engineer who kind of knows where this sensor landed. And this, I think, you know, just to be clear, this part will never really go away. This will always be part of the process, right? Because you will always have to, <laughs> like, at some point, map physical world to digital world. And, you know, wiring that back, right? So now I know, you know, that this temperature sensor landed on port four or whatever, input four. So then, you know, a, con a controls person, they go in and they say, you know, that they provide a name, right? And this is where BAS naming conventions come into play. We won't really go into that except to say that, you know, they haven't worked and they are all over the place and everybody names the discharge air temperature differently, right? It could be sup air temp, supply air temp, discharge air temp, DAT, DISAT, you know, everything, right? Yep, exactly. And so, so, you know, we get a name, there's a description field, probably, you know, nobody fills it out, but we assign units to it. So we might say that this is degrees Fahrenheit and we know that it's an analog input, right? So in general, you can use these, you know, your name, what type of input it, or what type of, uh, thing it is so analog input binary input whatever and units to you know kind of help you right but this is this is really lacking right so i might just know that it's degrees fahrenheit which likely tells me that it's measuring a temperature property but i don't really know like where that is right so, so i can comply with backnet fully comply with backnet and really provide nothing more than just degrees fahrenheit from my little sensor I think you have to provide a name and, you know, there's like some object ID, like device ID or something yeah, like that. But... but I've seen names that are just like AI4, right? Which provide totally. nothing. Yeah, Bob, right? Bob, Bob, Fred, whatever, James, that could be the name of something. Totally. Yeah, yeah. okay. That's, that's right. legal. So I think the, the context here would be like, if, if that's how, say, an air handler is set up, right? And it can communicate with say its supervisory network or other you know devices on that backnet network totally fine with mm -hmm. backnet right but then there still would be no meaning passed along that network with the way backnet set up right now so let's kind of add sure. in mm -hmm. okay yeah. so what like the way i understand it at least is then haystack comes along right so they say let's let's close this gap and I want to kind of group in version one, two, and three. So what do those add to this discharge air temperature sensor for us? Yeah, sure. So let's say up through Haystack 3, right, we just utilize the concept of a data dictionary. And so that is basically all coming to agreement on what are the words that we will use, right? So it's it's kind of like levels the playing field a little bit. So the, the classic example is, you know, supply and discharge are, you know, synonymous and people use them. So Haystack takes a stance. We're not going to use supply. We're just going to use discharge. So say discharge, right? That is the word. Don't use supply. <laughs> okay. So, 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 and it, and it, you know, it says that if, if we're going to keep the discharge or temp sensor going, right, then we basically, we have those four words, discharge, air, temp, sensor, and then point, right? And those are, you know, five, let's say, valid definitions in the haystack, like data dictionary. So it, it does the first thing in terms of, you know, you and I coming to the table and at least talking uh, the same or using the same words. And then the other thing that haystack three kind of 
and I don't know where in the progression of, you know, Haystack one, two or three, this happened, but they added an API, which an API specification, right? So standardizing operations for getting data in or, out, or writing data into a, a Haystack server. So, so what's, I think we'll probably mainly not worry about the API. I think the important thing that I just want to convey there is that Haystack was designed to solve kind of multiple issues. It, and it and it kind of lumps these all together into Haystack, but it, it solves kind of the data, it, it intended to solve somewhat of the data modeling issue and data access issue, so. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and where, what about the concept of tag? So if I've never heard the word tag before, oh. those, those basically those dictionary terms are themselves tags that get added to data. And that's the same thing as metadata, right? Yeah, and, and I'll, and I'll I'll say one thing real quick with respect to tags is that, and this will lead us into <laughs> brick as well, but you have two kind of different types of tags in Haystack. You have tags, which are typing tags. So, and, and these are what Haystack calls marker tags. So these tags are intended to provide a typing definition to what it is that they represent. So typing can be, you know, kind of confusing, but generally just think about it as if I have like an entity and I want to describe that entity, I might use discharge, right? And, and discharge is a marker tag that says this thing is a discharge. Now in, in Haystack, uh, you use, you don't really use just a single tag. And this is where Brick kind of comes in and they say, look, like nobody wants to talk about single tags. They want to talk about tag sets or really, you know, concepts and you know if i were just to describe something with a is a discharge tag it doesn't really make sense it doesn't help me so now i you know a tag set in haystack which would be a discharge air temp sensor point which kind of provides like a full typing definition to this thing right and and that is a tag set that actually conveys like a legitimate concept you know that that we would you know then uh, have an understanding of and so that's that's to talk about marker tags and then the other thing that haystack does is kind of these metadata tags which just they're not typing they're just providing kind of like some additional metadata so it, it you know it tells me maybe the unit that's kind of some additional metadata it might tell me like if i put a geo state on a site entity that tells me you know where this site is located right but it doesn't tell me that the type of this thing is a site. So those are also two kind of, I think, important distinctions in Haystack is that you have typing tags and you also have additional kind of metadata tags. Okay, and where do reference tags come into play? Because that's where the, the the modeling, I guess, in my mind, the modeling concept is handled through references. Yeah, so, so references are, you know, kind of pointers between two entities. So, and... I'll just say if people aren't super familiar, entity is just like this very generic something. So anything in Haystack is like an entity and it's just, you know, this kind of free something. We provide typing tags to inform what this something is, right? So, and then we provide reference tags to basically um, help define relationships between two somethings, basically. So a classic example is I want to, you know, say that this like a VAV box is connected to an air handler. Or, so I put an AHU ref tag onto a VAV box and I point it upstream kind of to the air handler entity that mm -hmm. is feeding this thing. 
Totally. So that's kind of where where ref tags come into play. Yeah. So if I if we take it back to that that DAT sensor that's kind of lost in the world. So if we if we do haystack three perfectly, what what do we now know about or what what can we communicate to each other about that DAT sensor? Yeah. So. And I think this is kind of an important aspect. So you and I could definitely communicate discharge air temp sensor point. We understand that concept and that conveys like a full meaning to us. And then we would also use like an equip ref tag on that point to say, you know, that this belongs to this air handler. So Mm -hmm. I know basically kind of the type of that thing. I also know what it's kind of connected to. Say we were on a campus, though, we would also know, like, we'd have site refs and maybe even more metadata around, like, what building that sits in. Maybe maybe we know, like, depending on the the user Mm -hmm. of the haystack tags, we would know, like, maybe we would even know what floor or, like, what's, like, group of zones. Like, things like that can be added, right, if I want to, to to kind of provide more tag-based context around that DAT sensor, right? Yep. Cool. So, I mean, that helps, right? So that allows someone that is setting up something like an analytics platform to quickly and easily understand the the context of all the data in the building, right? So that's, I mean, yeah. I think one thing to note is that as we talk about all this different progression, we're big fans of everything that's happened so far, right? We're not, we're not trying to bash any one project. So given like where we are with this DAT sensor, the way I understand it is that at some point the, the guys from Brick came along and they basically said that, hey, wait, like that's not good enough. And so can you kind of explain what they were basically saying? Yeah. So this, this goes back to kind of this application level interoperability. And so if, if, if we think about a data dictionary, you and I can have like a conversation but there's no in in haystack three it was just you know if you go to their tags page right it's just a list of like 50 or 100 tags and a definition next to it and so every time let's say a human had to kind of go you still had a human in the loop type process so it was a human going to the haystack website kind of interpreting what an individual tag meant now there were some examples of like what tag sets together like you, you know, typical tag sets on a, on an air handler or a VAV box or something like that, but it was still kind of a highly human in the loop process. And part of that had to do with what we'll get into as like a taxonomy. So Haystack didn't really have a taxonomy or like an ontology in Haystack three. And what a taxonomy does is basically it provides like formal, like more formalized definitions for subtyping and and kind of providing categories and subcategories to the data that we're talking about. So in Haystack, you know, there was this kind of convention that, you know, there were three main types of things, a site, an equip, and a point. And these were, you know, kind of more specific types of things. But there was nothing really formal to say that. There was no like machine readable way to say that. So Brick came along and said, okay, like we need to define this in a more formal structure. And they use semantic web technologies, which kind of consists of RDF, OWL, RDFS, Sparkle. Maybe you hear these words every <laughs> once in a while. But these are kind of this like grouping of what they call semantic web technologies. And so they say, okay, let's let's use this technology to do this kind of typing system. 
uh, like a formal typing system. So now I have a top level thing that's called a point and, you know, a sensor point is a direct subclass of a point, right? It is a it is a more specific type of point, and more specifically, it is something that is kind of being read in from a sensor, whether that's like a digital or a something sensor, right? And then they say, okay, a temperature sensor is an even more specific type of sensor point, and it is something that you know specifically measures the temperature property of something else. Right. And then and and they also, you know, now I have air temperature sensor, which okay. I know is measuring it's measuring the temperature property of the air substance. And then I have a discharge air temperature sensor, right, which is measuring the air substance, the temperature property of the air substance located in the discharge, basically. Okay. Now, now. This you could do with Haystack, but it's it was Haystack three, but it was still informal. Hmm. So, so that's kind of where what Brick comes along is like let's just have some more you know specific categories, and and we can you know use just a class oriented you know subclassing mechanism to def- to more narrowly define what something is. That formality word, I feel like, is important to me because the way I understand it is they came along and said this is not machine readable. Like, like the way that Haystack's being done, two different machines would get two different answers, right? Yeah, and and there still is this human in the loop problem. So, right. So in Haystack, it was kind of going in and and saying, you know, I have to apply this entire tag set to type this thing as a discharge air temperature sensor point. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now there is still in brick, right? Somebody still has to go in and say that this thing is a discharge air temperature sensor. Okay. That I would say doesn't really, you know, at this point there's still that effort that needs to happen. Interesting. And so so that's I guess just a point to make, but it does provide more formality in terms of how can you like understand the essence of something by looking like up the tree right okay. and so and the tree you is know, the taxonomy right and the, and the tree is a taxonomy so we might think of like felines as you know category which is the subcategory of mammals mm-hmm. and you know there's then more specific types of cats right and and these more specific types of cats you know get even more specific and whatever yeah. we have house cats and so it just provides this structure originally. And and then, so the other problem that they basically wanted to address was defining kind of legitimate relationships between things of different types. So mm-hmm. now we have kind of within more specific categories and subcategories, but how do I relate to things that are kind of of different categories? So like a, a bunny is the prey of like a coyote, right? Or, you know, those end up in two different, you know, bottom levels of the tree but there's still some sort of like kind of relationship between them. And so this is where like the ontology kind of comes into play. And you say, you you know, you define legitimate relationships between different types of things. And I think one of the biggest grievances that Brick had, and I know as a user, like a user starting off is it was very difficult for me to understand what type of relationship I should use to reference certain things. So certain things were easy, like a point related to a piece of equipment was always an equip ref, you know, but, then you use something like a fan located in a, in, in a discharge duct of an air handling unit 
and and now a fan equip refs to an equipment to an air handler now those are two very distinct types of relationships right so yes it's it's a you know it's a thing is contained by or is a part of i guess is what brick uses and this other thing is a point of this thing so Mm -hmm. brick kind of said like let's have more relationships like and define these more formally in a sense yeah and i've had the same thing where you're using if you're using haystack three you're using the same tag to mean different stuff and that's where you start to confuse a computer you know a human knows the difference between an equip ref when you when they look at a vav or an air handler or where a fan is in in an air handler but the machine's like you just use the same tag to mean two different things so okay Mm -hmm. so as as we kind of keep kind of moving down this progression of where we've come. So the way I understand it then is the Haystack guys basically said, okay, I hear you, Brick. And so then they created Haystack 4. Is that how things happen? Yeah, my, <laughs> totally my understanding. General. Yeah, yeah, I know that there was kind of a lot of conversations between Brian Frank and Gabe and and like, you know, how do, how do we transition forward? And And I know, I would say that Haystack 4 is like, you know, still like an in-progress kind of effort. So they're on like, you know, pre-release like 3.9.8 right so they're just trying to get this better and better and addressing more aspects okay. and i would say that so let's say haystack is kind of moving to this more type oriented system defining you know subclasses and things like that and in general if you look at kind of where brick and haystack 4 are right now like their equipment hierarchy looks very similar for you know most of what those what the equipment that is there but you then look at the point typing system and it's like very different and you know i basically have a top level point and then in his stack and then i have a cur point and a hiss point and a, and a right point or something like that these are subclasses of points but it's very different than brick which basically you know says that well we we talked about this before <laughs> so i i won't go into it right but that's just to say and i don't necessarily know who's right or what the right way to go about it is right and i think that and i, I think this isn't a, a distinction because you know some things in haystack don't really map cleanly because they, they weren't really haystack was designed to solve different problems than i think what brick and 223 are actually going after so brick and 223 are really going after the ontology issue which is only actually part of what haystack addresses so brick and 223 are basically trying to say like how do we talk about systems and what sort of things do we need to talk about? And Haystack, you know, it does that for the most part, kind of, but it also goes into, you know, how do you get, you know, other metadata info from this? How do you get, you know, time series data out of this thing, right? And and that, I think, just goes with, you know, where these are at or what, what they were originally intended to solve. And, and Haystack wanted to kind of provide like a one-stop shop solution to all of this stuff and and brick and 223 i think are more like let's let's solve the ontology issue first and then we can go after data access and stuff okay interesting Um, so so 223 if we just kind of continue in the the very generalized probably not that accurate story that i've been telling here is then Haystack 4 came out, and at some point, Ashray sort of decided they were going to bring all of this together into one effort. And so is Haystack 
and Brick, those they're both on the two two three committee. Who else is on that committee, and how does that what like what's their their goal and time frame and all that, and what's the status of it? Yeah, good question. So, what is now the SI Semantic Interoperability Working Group as part of like one thirty five committee? I'm still trying to understand like all the SSPCs and SPCs and things like that in Ashrae, but we have that. So that originally. The Semantic Interoperability Working Group started off actually as the Application Profiles Working Group. And that had been going on, as I understand it, for maybe like 10 years. And they were trying to do something similar. And and so then, yeah, Brick and, Brick and ASEC and 223 want to work together. And so recently, I think just this year, Steve Bushby took over as kind of the head convener of the Semantic Interoperability Working Group. It got like a rebranding kind of and is going through kind of like a modify, like modifying the title purpose and scope for it. But you, it's, it's gotten a lot of people kind of to the table. And these are people from like NIST, universities, uh, national labs, and DOE has kind of been, you know, has, has seen that this is kind of an issue and wants to, you know, help address it. So, and then you have, you know, industry folks as well. And so I think, yeah, so, so that's kind of like who's on the committee. If you look at timeline, I'm not really too sure about the timeline. I'm assuming that it's going to be something like three to five years before uh, a standard comes out. But, Which is surprising um, to me, right? Because this, this group was announced in like 2018. So it's already been like before talking to you and like, uh, I didn't know, like, is this close to being done? Like, <laughs> it, it sounds like it's not converged on a solution. You guys are still working through, like you said, starting with ontology and then you'll move on after that. Yep. Yeah, I would agree with that. So it's, and, and I would say that, you know, 223 is actually really ask you know, asking some really tough questions. And I think that, you know, there are some like very smart people in there. So people who like are like information architects, either like by learning or training or whatever, right. But people who like actually do this as a job, this, this to me, like yeah. I'm trying to learn how to do it. Right. So, <laughs> but you have Joel Bender who is, you know, kind of trying to identify gaps in like both brick and haystack and kind of what 223 needs to be. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that it's, it's actually a really good exercise because it's, 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 trying to start i wouldn't say fresh but it's trying to you know evaluate things through a new lens and you know brick kind of started with haystack terms and tags and kind of let's say reorganized it a little bit 223 is going into you know let's break down like a a piece of equipment right so we're going through this exercise where we're just looking at you know, ASHRAE guideline 36 systems and breaking it down into all of like its constituent pieces and what kinds of relationships and systems and components do we need to kind of consider, right? And so a classic example right now is Brick and Haystack had no kind of concept of connections or, you know, mm-hmm. the direction directionality between things besides like maybe feeds or something like that. But within like an air handling unit, right, I might define I have a heating coil, a cooling coil or whatever. And there is no way to basically say like what the order of these things are right. and what kind of, you know, substances are kind of like flowing between these things. And so, so 
Joel, you know, there's, and, and two, two, three is really about trying to bring together the best of a lot of different ontologies and say, this is how you can, like, they can work together. So there's this other ontology called Sarif, which, you know, has the concept of connections, connection points and systems. And so it's kind of marrying, you know, Sarif, uh, these different connections and basically, you know, defining ports, right? So a connection might have multiple connection points and yeah. finding like legitimate, you know, inputs and outputs to these connection points. So cool. if I have a, a heating coil, like a hot water coil, right, that might have an air inlet and an outlet, but it also has like a water inlet and an outlet, right? And so it's pretty interesting because it's, it's getting down to like, how do we model very, very detailed things? And, mm -hmm. and then, and the other question is like, at at what detail do we need to model it? Right now, to me, it looks a lot like something like Energy Plus or Open Studio, where you know they had they did have to solve this kind of yeah. issue a long time ago. You know, how do we? Because you have to have full fidelity of like an energy model, right? So you have to know flows, you have to know inputs, outputs, like exactly, right? I can't not know that. So, so it's pretty interesting because it 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 does look to me a lot like it is going to you know somewhat line up with what you know we would think of as like a building energy model might huh. might look like so. okay well i i think that's a fascinating kind of and we kind of just fast forwarded through like 10 plus years of semantic interoperability history but <laughs> i i wanted to do it because this isn't a solved problem and it's also a really big problem right so it's not as easy as just adding tags and hoping the problem is solved right and I, I think it's good to like tell that story because I think there is a myth in, in at least the the kind of circles that I've come from, which is if, if I'm using Haystack, for instance, or, you know, even or brick, right? But mostly it's mm -hmm. Haystack's more popular in the private sector, right? It's 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 a lot more widely distributed. It's a lot more it, it has been you know, people are making Haystack their standard, right? And they're they're more often in buildings right now. So I think there's this yep. sort of myth, right? That if I add Haystack tags to a building, then now it's set up for whatever you want to do and it's now interoperable, right? So uh -huh. how would you sort of respond to that assessment? I mean, we've, we've touched on it a little bit, but I think we should just kind of directly talk about it pretty quickly here. So, sorry, say the question just one more time. Yeah, so, like, I think there's a myth around if you just sort of, and, and one of my buddies likes to use the word, if you just sprinkle haystack tags, then the, the interoperability yeah. problem is solved, right? Okay. And and this kind of gets at the this whole kind of trend towards open data layers or mm. data lakes where there's people out there that are basically saying that, you know, just get your get your data into a database and get it haystack tagged. And now you're ready to do whatever you want with it. Right. So how would you sort of <laughs> respond to that besides laughing? Yeah. So I would, I would say like the, the reason that this, this whole ontology question comes into play is that that might work for certain applications. And this is where, you know, if we talk about smart building space, the smart building space is growing like very fast, right? And we can talk about this all the way from, you know, doing 
simple rules-based fault detection and diagnostics and starting, you know, with a lot of the stuff that Steve Bushby worked around on 15 years ago with these air handling performance assessment rules, right? I'm just comparing supply air temperature and mixed air temperature. And based on a mode, right, I can say that a fault has occurred. Now, that is a very, that's at one end of the spectrum. The other end is that now you, if you're looking at kind of grid interoperable buildings or grid efficient buildings, and you're looking at model predictive control, you need to have like a very, very, very detailed picture of what your system is and and what is contained in it and its relationships and even how the, you know, the, the, the thermodynamics and stuff work. And those are, those are very two different views that you have to take of the world. And so what, what, 223 is kind of doing is like, what is the most detailed view that we can take? And if we take that, how, what are the things that we need to talk about it? And how can we talk about it in an abstract manner? Whereas- so I think what you're saying is like use cases, there's many different use cases for the same data, right? So yeah. just because someone tags a data set for their use case, doesn't mean it then enables every smart building use case that could possibly use that data, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so you have different applications that actually need different things. Right. So one application, and this is like, you know, there's no concept of haystack like compliance or verification right now, because it's kind of like you use the dictionary terms to basically, you know, identify the things that you need to identify. And primarily this is for, you know, let's say a monitoring based commissioning firm or, you know, some sort of firm who's selling SaaS, you know, to implement their solution. They're not really looking at, you know, who might the next player down the line be, who might want to consume this and what might they need from a data perspective and and what aspects of the model do they actually need to know about. And so so this is where kind of if if we're talking about application to application interoperability, you have to take like the same viewpoint on modeling something so that you can kind of both both of your applications could get the data that they need to to run whatever they need to run basically yeah and right now the standards aren't extensive enough uh, maybe that's not the right term but we've kind of covered it they're not at a place where they have a standardized way to add all of this m- metadata basically that would then fully describe a say a discharge air temperature sensor for every application that could use it and so i think what i've experienced is you might have two companies that are trying to use haystack for instance and they've gotten to the limits of the haystack standard and then they've then added on to it right Mm -hmm. so they've used haystack up to a point and then now they've added haystack ish sorts of (laughs) tags and so now we have basically N plus one standards. And then you have the next company that's doing Haystack and then they got Haystack-ish and their Haystack-ish is different than the other company's Haystack-ish. And so yeah. now what we have is like, basically we have a world where then the humans can probably understand it, but the machines couldn't if you wanted to plug two different applications into that tag data set. Cool. So that's a good uh, summary of the, what I see as the two main challenges. So let's talk about opportunities. So what are the, the kind of the big uh, opportunities for kind of making interoperability more, more streamlined, easier to do, and more heavily promoted in the industry today? Yeah, you know, I think, I think a big aspect of that 
is just proving out or like having two kind of vendors come together and say like, look, we're going to prove, you know, not just that we can exchange uh, Haystack data over like an API, but that, you know, we can both kind of like round trip, you know, fully round trip through our tools and come to the same conclusion, like about, you know, what this system is and it's and we agree on the necessary components that we need to model in order to do that and it's you know and and that's kind of to me a big aspect of it that i think hasn't really been done super well i think one of the reasons is it hasn't been done super well is there hasn't really been like a third party spec that basically says you know like when we say a package rooftop unit with single stage dx cooling and gas furnace you know heating this is exactly what your model needs to look like. There's nothing out there that says that. There's kind of maybe some like examples, but there's nothing saying like, this is how to do that system. And and so I think that's an opportunity is to kind of look at what are the most common system, you know, a few of the most five to 10 of the most common system types out there, come to an agreement on basically how those should be modeled and kind of prove round tripping you know, through multiple vendor systems to do that. So I think that's definitely like from an interoperability perspective, especially in the semantic aspect, that is, I think, big, big opportunity. It's also, you know, the hardest in terms of like, we have to have two vendors who are kind of going to take this on. You know, I, I think if two vendors took this on, it becomes it becomes easier for other people to get in on the game. And, and you kind of, it, it might not be, you know, a hundred percent like perfect in the sense that I think two, two, three is like trying to work towards. Um, but maybe it gets us kind of 90% of the way there for a few different system types that we generally see. So I, I think that's one big opportunity. And, and with that, like, I, I think comes the opportunity to also have basically reference implementations, right? So a big ask is on the Haystack forums, you'll see this is like, where can I like, does people have sample data that I can look at? There's not really much out there. There's a few sample buildings generally with simple systems, but we don't really have good reference implementations for doing, you know, more complex systems. I liken this to kind of having the DOE prototype buildings from an energy modeling perspective, which is like, look, we're just going to define like a very generic small office building and say, you know, this is the system type and this is like what it looks like. I think we can kind of do that in, in the same way for Haystack as well. So putting those out there so that people can, you know, go in, look at examples. I mean, I'm very example oriented learner so it's it's very easy for me to go you know see something and and okay now it makes a lot more sense seeing a list of tags and you know and these scattered forum posts that you have to maybe try to you know work through to kind of come to a conclusion about how something should be done um sure you can do that but it would be nice if we just had like a, a best practice type book so I, I think that that's definitely an opportunity as well and and, and along with that is kind of like some tooling. So having some vendor tooling, you know, to, to help people do these systems more consistently, right? We still, you, you still probably want a user to interface with something that is very simple. You know, you want to abstract away tags probably in the, in the data model that goes underneath it, but providing them with some sort of forms or whatever that, you know, just enter in this information quickly 
you know, don't worry about the data model that all happens on the back end and, mm. you know, you're good to go. Okay. So, you know, I think tooling around this is really important. And, and that's something that, you know, will push, I think, vendors to, to improve tooling to help with that. Yeah. And you think that would be on, like, I, I know Skyspark's definitely building out tooling in their latest releases. So you think that would be a vendor thing or it would be a vendor agnostic sort of set of tools? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you could go both ways. It, I, it definitely seems like there is like a cry out there for, you know, some sort of open source haystack builder type of thing. Um, yeah. uh, Brick is maybe like a little bit easier because it it use it builds on the semantic web technologies so there are you know in python things like that you know s typical rdf tool sets and, and standard ways of kind of constructing these so not you know not that everybody's going to go in in python and build rdf graphs or whatever but it is available for people if they want to get their hands dirty one of the things with haystack is that it can be difficult because the libraries that maybe are available on the project haystack website you know different programming language libraries they cover very different aspects of haystack some of them just implement kind of the api spec some of them have incorporations of the haystack data model some of them have incorporations of like the haystack literals and actual like data types that so so there's there's kind of a widespread and it's and and they're not consistent and so anyways i i do think that there is kind of a cry in the industry to have some sort of open you know third-party haystack mm -hmm. builder type thing so yeah okay all right cool i mean those are three great projects how should listeners get involved in something in, in this area if they're interested yeah i mean likely people might hear this conversation you know i don't think anybody is just building like haystack things for the fun of it or brick things or whatever right so probably people have products and probably all of these different products have different use cases or applications or similar ones or whatever when, when you talk about kind of like application level interoperability and the importance of semantic models, it's really good to get like all of these perspectives involved because, you know, what, what one application needs and what they talk about it as might not be the same as another one. And so getting these people kind of in the same room together becomes really useful to, you know, just have the conversation. And I think that's kind of where 223 has done a really good job. Steve Bushby kind of sets this really good tone, like invitational tone for, you know, getting people involved and hearing different perspectives and stuff. And so, you know, I think, you know, the, the, the 223 group is a good place, you know, the Haystack forums as well. Generally, there's not a ton of people who I would say participate in the Haystack forums, right? It's, it's kind of easy to do like a, a one-off like question, like I have a, I need a quick answer, but you know, to really dedicate time to trying to propose like a thoughtful solution um, to some of these problems that we face in a, in a way that becomes, you know, usable for others down the road, right? It's not just like one person solving it in their application. It's, you know, how do, how do I take the experiences that I've had in the field in implementing Haystack, translate those into, you know, present the, present the use case, present the scenario to the group and, and you know, contribute back. And so I, I think that's would be like super helpful. I would, you know, we would, I think, love to have more people contributing in that space and kind of working towards uh, uh, kind of common goals. So got it. All right. I think that's a good place to 
to drop off for now, but I'm sure this conversation will continue as things progress in this area. So thanks, Corey, for, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Cheers, man. Thanks for having me. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, please subscribe at nexus.substack.com. You can find show notes for this conversation there as well. As always, please reach out on LinkedIn with any thoughts on this episode. I'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.